If you make it difficult for others to talk about you, then you're not going to get those referrals. So the more you niche down, people could say, I remember Eric, he's the, the guy that whose company helps those experts. And now they know me as that person. And that's a lot easier when you're niche down or you're, hey, I know this person, he's a genius at SEO or paid media or whatever the, the, in the niche is. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Upflip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Freeman, and today I'm talking to Eric Berman, founder of the digital marketing agency, Branditize. Eric cut his teeth in digital marketing as a co-founder of the most visited college website in the early days of social media. He started Branditize in 2001 to manage marketing for thought leader Brian Tracy and is scaled to an impressive $450,000 per month of revenue in 2022. How did he do it? Stick around to find out. Eric, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Oh, well, thank you so much for, for having me. It's an honor to be here. Let's let's start with your background. When and and why did you did you start Branditize? I started it back in well 2014. It ultimately became an agency, and uh, like other agency owners, you don't necessarily you know come to be an entrepreneur and say I want to run an agency. You, you tend to back into it. And in this case, I had a client that I was consulting for, the legendary uh, author, famous author, speaker Brian Tracy, that I was consulting for for a long time. And a lot of people came to me and said, "God, I love what you've done for Brian. Is there any way you could do that for me?" And after I I heard that a number of times and started saying, well, gee, maybe I should start thinking about not just having a monogamous relationship, if you will, with just one client. And uh, maybe we, I would take the team and, and sort of some of my, my key people and let's, let's go out there and form an agency. And thus, Branditize was, was born in, in 2014. You are obviously a, a, a very skilled marketer at, at this point and, and sort of as you develop it. How did you initially develop your marketing skills and knowledge? And, and what kind of tips might you have for a business leader to gain those skills if they don't have a marketing background? Yeah, I, I think for, for me, interestingly enough, my, 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 super, my strength is actually not as much in the marketing. It's more in the you know, overall, I'd say more business development, sales, building a, building a business and a company and operations, but with a pretty strong, obviously a strong foothold in marketing as a generalist. And, and that really, to answer your question, I came a lot from just there's being at conferences, learning, talking to people. Uh, and I even have my own marketing mastermind group I put together in San Diego. I sort of said, well, if I'm going to learn, you know, and I'm good at organizing and rounding up people, I might as well surround myself with people that are way smarter than me so I can absorb from them and, 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 and steal some of their amazingness and, and figure out ways to offer value to them in other areas. And so that's how I continued to, to grow and learn more and more about marketing. And then obviously lots of conferences and, and learning, et cetera. And maybe that way in which you built your own marketing knowledge is, is part of what sets Branditize apart from other marketing firms. But I'm curious what you would describe as kind of the Branditize difference. What are you all doing better as an agency and how has that helped you succeed? I think it was niching down, especially, you know, recently. And, and when you say better, you know, every, every agency will claim to be, you know, good at something, or at least they, they should. And, you know, for us, it's, it's the ability to, you know, we're niching down uh, or having been able to focus on a niche, which is, is really uh, helping experts build their empires and working with gurus and thought leaders and influencers and, and of, the, of the type. And just, you know, the more you niche, you start to understand what the needs are of the customer. And then that allows you to start to get really good at those things. And, you know, that's opposed to when we were trying to be the, the everything agency and you had to scramble and try to be good at a lot of things, which wasn't always the best way to go. And then from there, yeah, you just start to get a little bit better in different, different functions within that, such as like content marketing is a big area that a lot of our clients need as a, as a quick example. Now, if somebody listens to, to our conversation today and they say, hey, I want to I get into that. I want to set up a marketing agency. Can you talk us through what those steps might be and what things they might absolutely need to do before they start working with clients? Again, it's, you know, most agency owners I, I've talked to, it, it's almost like you start as a consultant. You're, you, you're out there, 
as a, as a one person or two person shop trying to solve a problem for somebody, you know, and, and then from there, you're like, wow, maybe I could do more of this and I can grow it. And then it's like, well, do I want to make a, a business? Out of it? Don't make a run out of that. That means bringing on consultants or I should say we're employees or contractors. And then, and then from there, you're starting to build out that agency or you have to be really, really good at one key area and find that a lot of people are asking you for what you are good at. So if it's, you know, if you're like an SEO wizard or a certain skill you have and you have others that are like that skill, then you can certainly build around that type of thing. If you're that pre-agency stage, if you're if you're kind of living life as a consultant, how do you go about building a reputation to build up yourself as a consultant to to start attracting that business? You know, once you start with one, it's it's it just builds a lot of confidence in you being able to then go out and talk to others, and also asking, frankly, asking your clients that you're serving if they know others that also need the same service, and that's how you can start to slowly build up your roster. And one thing it's so important that I learned over over the years is understanding where your own personal genius is. What is it you love to do? What are you good at? And quickly, the things you're not good at, how do you work with somebody that could fill those voids? So oftentimes you find somebody who's an expert and they want to start building an agency, but they're good at that skill and craft, but they may not be good at going out and selling and getting clients. And in fact, that made them, that made scare the heck out of them. Therefore, they don't really get the chance to grow. Rather than doing that and limiting yourself, another question can be, well, who can I have help me build this out that can do the things that I'm not good at? And so that's that's another way you could scale that is find somebody who might be good at selling or business development and maybe they partner with you. Can you talk to me about scaling a digital marketing agency um, and, and growing revenue? I mean, is the answer simply bring in more clients or what other avenues exist to boost your revenue? You know, a couple a couple ways to boost revenue. Of course, it is the obvious. Yeah, go sell and bring in more clients. Also, you could be you know slowly charging more and start to level up your pricing and offer more services. You can also take your existing clients and get creative and figure out ways that you can actually bring them more value. You know, especially and a lot of people don't do that asking for more. I mean, they they trust you, they like you, you've, you've worked hard to build that relationship. Let's start at, you know adding more services to your clients. And then uh, you know one more way that we've been creative on this is is finding partners that we really like that we've seen we worked with them, we understand their products. And we've actually gone into a situation where we partner with our clients. We, we take a percentage of the business. And when you do something like that, it's kind of fun because because there's really no limit, but higher risk, higher reward, as they say. And and sometimes it's, it's good to bet on those things when you understand what's going on with that client. And can you talk us through just kind of what some of your the, the numbers look like for the company now, average monthly revenue, profit percentage on that, and, and kind of talk us through some of the overhead costs for a digital marketing agency? Yeah, I mean, you know, revenues fluctuate a little bit, but you know, similar to as you mentioned earlier, you know, anywhere from four to five hundred thousand dollars a month. Profits gone up and down. I mean, sometimes there's months where we may not, you know, make some money. The, the goal of an agency, you really want to be hitting that twenty percent profit margin. So we're operating all cylinders. We'll, we'll be there, and you know, oftentimes as we're rebuilding or retooling, you know, we'll be sitting in that ten percent range on a monthly. But goals of an agency is to be about twenty. If you're over thirty percent, you're really humming on that end. Operating expenses, uh, you know, fluctuate anywhere, you know, up. To to, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. Are you talking about, if we're talking about fixed, you know, I'm not sure about fixed or variable, but yeah, you know, based off that, you can kind of reverse reverse engineer the numbers on a, on a $450,000, $500,000 revenue. Quick reminder for our listeners that uh, you should check out the Upflip blog for more tips on how to grow revenue quickly with a business in any niche. Eric, how much was the initial investment to start Branditize? And how might that differ from what you might suggest to someone today who might be looking to start a digital marketing agency? Investment was, was zero. It's, it's, it's sweat equity, frankly. And I think for most agency owners, that, that probably is the safest and easy way. And there's lots of opportunities if you are starting from scratch. And most people in starting agencies, the year 
typically the person doing everything you know, right out of the gates, wearing many hats. You're doing the selling, as I alluded to earlier, and then you're actually performing, and then you're slowly taking the revenue you generate in the profits and adding on more employees with the profits because at some point it gets overwhelming for you to do everything. <laughs> so as soon as you have enough, you can start adding on people from there. So so it's, it's fairly easy to launch if you're willing to do most of the work. And as far as the investment beyond that, it just depends on how much you need to start taking off your plate and bringing other people on. With the investment being mostly sweat equity, what's the what's the most difficult part of opening this type of business? For everybody, it's going to be a different answer. Something I alluded to earlier is, is working outside of your 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 genius, your zone of, of excellence. That's going to be the most difficult part. So what might be hard for me may not be as more difficult for you. For most people, I would say probably selling and finding that new customer is going to be the most difficult. What for you have been some successful strategies for attracting customers and and building brand awareness, especially you know in the early days of the business? My network, it's 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 getting out there constantly. You know, going to events, going eyeball to eyeball, and just meeting people. And and again, if it, it might be tough for people who are very introverted and don't like to do that. And if that's the case, then it's a lot more just doing traditional get on LinkedIn for agencies and trying to find people that might be a fit. There's certainly tons of people just doing cold email outreach. I do believe in this time where especially with COVID and people kind of got kind of really got used to working out of their, out of their, their, their houses and their caves, if you will. There's an opportunity for those that are, are willing to actually go out there and meet people. People are thriving to have that connection again and to go face to face. And so through my experience, people want to do business with those they have a relationship with. It's just, it's just fascinating. I mean, you can meet somebody, have a good conversation for five, 10 minutes, and all of a sudden they trust you. And when you refer something or talk about your business or you want to, or somebody refers and talks about you, it's just a lot easier to get clients that way. Has how you market your own business shifted as you've grown and how are customers mostly finding out about you today? I, I wish it has evolved beyond more it has. It has definitely somewhat. And that is we have had more channels, but amazingly enough, still a lot of our clients are just through my network and referrals and going out there and do biz dev. So that hasn't gone away. And I think one thing, and as I've, I've studied this and learned, part of the role of the founder is is always selling. I mean, you're always out there doing biz dev. Now, to add on top of that, we have that at other services. We've done some of the things, of course, we teach our clients as we've gone out and created a lot of content, some blogs, done some SEO for ourselves. We're in the process of writing a book to uh, build some more credibility for ourselves and done some LinkedIn strategies as well. Now, you also mentioned that one of the kind of keys to your success, you feel, has been the fact that you did niche down. So can you talk about the importance uh, for a marketing agency to kind of find their niche? You know, niching is, is, in hindsight, if I look back and say one of the biggest mistakes I made, it was not doing this faster. And admittedly, ego got in the way, you know, wanted to take on lots of opportunities. And it's very, very easy when you're early on and growing and you're looking down the, you know, lots of having employees and big overhead and starting to take on clients and doing projects that are out of your zone. Very easy to do that when you're you're potentially going to be down losing money. And so therefore, you start to get in the habit of, of going everywhere. But once we niche down, and niching down could be lots of things. It could be niching down on types of industry, it could be niching down on types of services, who your client is, and it could be and just all over the board. But once you do that, I remember it so so vividly this year when we made a big pivot to, to niche down even further. Like everything just changed. Not not only was it easier for our outbound sales team and people to go out there and tell people what we did, it was easier when I was going to my own networking events and talking to people and saying, hey, you know, this is Eric and what we do is we focus on this versus just, hey, we're this kind of full service agency. Because what I remembered is that people that I'm talking to are going to ultimately, if I hope they're talking to a third person and they need to remember what it is about you that makes you different. And if you make it difficult for others to talk about you, 
then you're not going to get those referrals. So the more you niche down, people could say, I remember Eric, he's the, the guy that whose company helps those experts. And now they know me as that person. And that's a lot easier when you're niched down or you're, hey, I know this person, he's a genius at SEO or paid media or whatever the, the, in the niche is. I mean, that's really strong advice. I also want to ask you about your about the team. So I guess to, to kind of get us into that conversation, can you just tell us how big the team is? How many employees work for the company now and kind of what areas are they working in? Yeah, we have about 35 to 40 full-time equivalents, I like to say, operating in all, all avenues of the business. You you know, we like to say branditizes, brand build and monetize. So you have this sort of the branding arm. We have the uh, building arm, which is all the assets, you know, from email funnels to websites to social media properties. And then ultimately monetizes, uh, you know, a lot of people on the team doing things as pays paid media to SEO, to influencer marketing, to on and on. So, so people across the horn. And then of course, I like to say there's sort of two sides of the house, if you will. One is, is the client services stack, which include people that are managing the accounts, the project, you know, that are client facing, that are project managers, the coordinators to the team, and the strategists, the head strategists coming up with all the ideas. And then you have the production side of the house, the people that are really the, the experts in each specialty, the, the hands-on keyboard, the guru at paid media, the guru at content marketing. And so we have people on both sides of the house and then, and then your typical operations and sales, sales side of the house. Now, have you been running into any trouble finding high quality applicants in, in the current labor market, or have you been able to keep your positions filled as they've opened? That question evolves based on where we've been in the last few years. There was a time <laughs> when it was really, really hard to find talent and everybody it was just like impossible. And that was tough. I mean, you're asking me this today and here we are in November of 2022 and it hasn't been terribly difficult, you know, when we have an open position and also depending on what's position, it's, it's been a little bit easier. We're also ending what they call the great resignation that happened through the, the pandemic where, you know, people were, were jumping and jumping, you know, running across different agencies and kind of went through that fairly unscathed, which was nice to see. Um, but now it's not terribly bad, but there's a lot that goes into that. I think having the right job description, having some good core values and mission and, and talking about, you know, showing, letting people feel and sense the culture of your company. There's a lot of important ingredients that go into making it easier for you to hire people. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about how you've built the, the workplace culture, especially, you know, as you mentioned that you came came through the Great Resignation relatively unscathed, which I think is a is a testament to having a strong culture. So how did you go about building that culture and how do you maintain it? Yeah, I think first of all, having an understanding what culture is and how important it is, and somebody's got to be ultimately responsible for 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 building that. And as a leader, that is does fall on your shoulders because it does evolve typically from you as the leader. And then understanding what the employees value and what they want, and building building things around that. You know, it's not just about you know having you know playing games all the time. You know, it's, it's having a balance of you know work hard, play hard. One of the biggest things that I, I or a couple of big things that I've learned from the employees this, these days is having an opportunity for them to be heard, having a voice. You know, knowing that they're being listened to. That you know, I almost you know, clap and, and, and show big appreciation when an employee will call me out for, for making a mistake, which is really scary for an employee to do. But I like just, just no matter what it is, I just listen and I tell them how much I appreciate that publicly. So others now start to understand, hey, it's great to be able to do that kind of stuff. And I have a tool where everybody can, uh, provides feedback every week. And every Saturday, I'm reviewing the entire team's feedback. And I'm responding to them like, hey, great idea. I'm really glad you did that. And we're going to take that consideration. I'll follow up with you. And I do. And they're like, wow, this guy actually cares. They, they listen to me, this company. And then the other big thing is allowing employees to feel like they're making a positive impact. You know, doing this, doing stuff they love to do and a chance to really, you know, build big things and do cool things and finding the area that they like to work the best in. 
So there's a lot of little things that go into that. I kind of give you just a taste of it, but just honing in and paying attention to these things and actually building in systems to ensure that these things are happening. And then there's the fun side too. And you know, we have like unlimited PTO. We do like a fun, fun activity once a month, you know, things of that nature. Now, when you're looking to fill a position and you're looking to hire somebody and bring them into this culture, are there specific things that you're looking for that let you know that they'll be a good fit for the team? You know, just a lot of interviewing. It, it, you have to do a lot of interviewing and talking to people. A lot of people um, also don't do proper reference checking, but it's good to, you know, one little technique I'll share on that is, you know, during the course of the interview, you, you get them to talk about some of the people out there, previous employers. One thing I like to do is I like to ask people, you know, if I was t- sitting down and talking to, I ask them and I say, well, what's the name of your, this person who was, you were reporting to? And they'll say, Bob. I'll say, great. Imagine I'm in a room right now. I just called Bob and asked Bob, what's the one thing that this employee could do a better job of? Or what one thing did you say they needed to work on their last performance review? When you start to kind of get in the frame where they're visualizing having a performance review with their old boss, what they would say, knowing that you may call them to ask, you get some interesting answers. And then I tend to try to call people on references that they brought up in the interview, not that they gave me in the references, because obviously we all know those are stacked people when they give you their references. <laughs> so, those, so those are some just quick techniques. And as far as what I listen to, I just try to understand how they worked, what their workflow is, you know, how, how, if they were a hard worker, you know, what their hours, I like to get into some problems they, they might have solved. We're also pretty big on giving people some sample work and saying, all right, here's a, here's a problem. You know, how would you solve this? And that gives you really good insights into that. And I also like to have people interview multiple people, not just one and done. I mean, I really want some of the key people on my team to, to talk to the person. That way we can all get a sense if there'll be a good fit to the team. Then how does this all translate to the client facing side? And Beyond that, what are what are some of the key ingredients that your company uses to provide exceptional customer service? It goes to the client side it, because I got to make sure the people that are client facing have that right personality. And I would even do some personality, te- you know, some of those tests out there. You could say, okay, this person will be, you know, the extroverted kind of person who's not afraid to pick up the phone call and talk to the clients if that's their job. And for me, going into your second question, one of the biggest things I find that clients like is just communication. They want to know. One of the things I try to teach is is oftentimes people are afraid to bring a problem to a client, or if something doesn't feel right, they don't they don't want to they almost want to wait till things are perfect. And and I'm like the opposite. I'm like it's it's like clients want to hear when things aren't great because it shows that you're on top of it, and that clients are constantly running scared and they're fearful of that and they're asking themselves, is this the right team? Does this team really care about me? Are they on top of stuff? Or is this just going to be a disaster someday? So the more you get ahead of it and talk to clients and over communicate and find out what their style is. Sometimes clients don't want to be you know, email. They want to be, you know, you pick up the phone and call them just because we're in a generation that everybody just wants to slack or text each other. It doesn't mean a client wants it that way. So how does your client want to be communicated to? How do you ensure that they're, you know, being talked to and, and nothing better than telling a client that, Hey, I'm very concerned about this one thing that happened. There was an error we found. And oh, by the way, here's what we're doing to fix it. Not just talking about problems, but here's the solutions. And then if you do that two or three times for a client, they're all of a sudden saying, Ah, oh, it's like a big, you know, gasp of air. Every time I've done this, you're like, oh my God, I just love how you just let me know. I now know that you are on top of things and that if something bad's really gonna happen, you're gonna let me know before it happens. And that's what they want. So this is going to bring us to a section of our show that we call our fan blitz questions. These questions come from our YouTube community. You can go to youtube.com slash upflip, join the community and post questions to future podcast guests. Okay, Eric, we've got about seven questions. We're going to try and get through them in about 90 seconds. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Abel Fakadu is asking, how do you avoid becoming overwhelmed from taking on too many projects? Do you limit the amount of client spots at a time? Do you set up a waiting list? 
uh, no winning list as a salesperson. It's, it's, you know, let's, let's get the client sold and let's figure out how to have resources available. And then what you want to do is have a, what I call a bench of outside consultants and contractors available to scale up and down as you bring in new clients. So I never want to slow sales down. Abubakar Wadude is asking, what's the best niche to get into? Whatever niche you are, have the biggest strength in. There's no set niche for one person. So I would say whatever you love to do and are passionate about and you're good at, that's where you want to start. Melanie T would like to know what the best resources, books, courses, etc. for a beginner with no background in digital marketing might be. Uh, Digitalmarketer.com has some great stuff. Gabriel Lorenzo would like to know about pricing strategies. Do you have pricing strategies and what are they? Yes, they are different. And I just went to, I just had a big learn myself recently that depending on the client type, you make price differently. And without, I know I have 90 seconds, so I'm not have time to go into it, but I would just say you could do things such as hourly for clients that might be really, really difficult to work with and they don't have a big upside. You, you might want to do a project price. If you're very confident on you know how long it's going to take to do something, you want to go project pricing, like it'll be five, 10 grand to do this thing. If you're not very clear on how much work it's going to be and it's a good client, you go into retainer pricing, which, hey, we'll just charge you fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 a month and do a lot of things and we have the ability to pivot. Would you do business with yourself if you were a customer? Absolutely. Can you tell us about your most bizarre business encounter? I would say meeting with a famous basketball player, a guy named uh, Kevin Garnett, former uh, Celtics. He was looking to do some products. It was kind of fun. It, it really bizarre because he's like seven foot tall and I'm like 5'11", <laughs> yeah. or he's like 7'2". <laughs> it was just interesting to be around him. Last one in the fan blitz questions here. How would you rebrand yourself on Mars? I would do the same way we're doing now because the way we're, we're branded is, it serves people worldwide. And I would say now uh, universally, uh, including the galaxy. That is going to do it for our fan blitz questions. Again, those come from our YouTube community. Go to youtube.com slash upflip, join the community and post questions to future podcast guests. Eric, just a few more questions from me. You've been marketing for a very long time. What's one thing that was good marketing advice when you got started that's no longer true? And what should people be doing instead? Oftentimes when people are trying to grow the businesses you hear, like you just kind of kind of sell vaporware and just sort of, you know, sell, sell it and it'll come and, and, you know, sell the sizzle. And I just think people are, are smarter now these days. You got to be very authentic, very transparent. I want to talk about the kind of day-to-day management and workflow of the agency itself. What systems and organization are important for a marketing agency? And what are your systems or SOPs that you all use to manage the workflow? System, system, systems, processes, they get more important as you get bigger, certainly early. And it's always a battle of, are we going too many processes and systems to slow things down or not? But it is extremely important to do that. From an agency perspective, you definitely want to have a, a nice project management type of system. I know like people use uh, ClickUp, Asana. We're actually moving to something called Excello, which is really good for an agency world. Of course, you want to have some kind of time tracking software. This is something we learned the hard way early on. And it's just funny to look back how we actually didn't even do this early on. But that's really critical to understand how much time is going to each client. So I would say just you know starting with, with those and then having the, the tools to be able to look back on what your true cost of, of delivering are for some of these clients. On sort of measuring that true cost, I guess that kind of moves us into the financial side. How are you measuring the financial side and what are some of the key financial metrics that an agency owner should be tracking? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, other than your, your adjusted gross income, so your, your, you know, your revenue coming in, but after you subtract out some ad spend and, and other, other types of things that you might be spending, what is the, the, the net income there is an important number. And then you get into your, your, your delivery costs, your utilization. How much is your employees 
actually doing billable work and being utilized. And another thing you want to look at is your utilization margin when actually people are working. What's your profit after you put in their hours from working in the different accounts? And then ultimately, you want to bring it all the way down to your, your profit at the end of the day and look at different percentages on how everything is, how much, how much each of these pieces is, is requiring. Now, as you as as a company, you're obviously heavily involved in building online presences for for various brands. But what about your own brand? How important is the online presence for a digital marketing agency in 2022? And what what social media platforms or other sites is Branditize active on? Yeah, it's 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 extremely important, but it gets more important to the extent you don't have much of a, a sales channel. We've been able to get away with it for a little while, and, and having we had a little bit of a cobbler shoe problem, and still do to some degree, where it tends to get a little bit less love than some of our clients who are paying us. However, you know it is important to continue to do the things you would do for clients. Otherwise, you end up without leads. From our standpoint, you know we want to have a continued flow of content that we're doing out there. As far as platforms, LinkedIn would be more important since since you're out there trying to do business with other business you know owners. You can post in there, and I've seen a lot of other agency owners. Again, it depends a little bit on the niche you're doing and who your end customer is. So you always want to go, where's your customer going to be? If you are a you know TikTok agency, you're going to want to be all over TikTok. You know, and if your clients are you know, maybe you're on the younger side or doing something that might be more product based. You might want to find yourself a little bit more doing a lot more stuff on Instagram, TikTok, things of that nature. So it just really depends on who your end customer is and what what else can you do to build build credibility or things you want to start thinking about. What services are our customers coming to Branditize for today? What are what are kind of some of the most popular things that they're looking for from you? I would say we have two types of, uh, of avatars for us. One is the person who says, I want to be that guru and leader and expert. I have a lot of great content in my mind, but I, haven't, I don't really quite know what to do yet. I just need a team to help me figure this out. And they do have a budget to invest into actually building out that meaning, okay, let's get your brand in order. Let's figure out who your customer is going to be, and let's figure out how to build that product. What is it you're ultimately going to sell? Is it is it a is it a course? Is it a mastermind? Is it a coaching program? Things of that nature. Our more preferred avatar, somebody already kind of has that stuff, and they're saying, I just need to scale. So it would be somebody who's like, you know, I have this product, this course, this thing that I'm selling, and I may have one or two people on my team helping me market it, and it's just way overwhelming. I shouldn't be. This is the, the, the potential client. You know, they shouldn't be in the weeds trying to get under the hood of Facebook trying to do ads. They should be out there teaching their craft and doing what they love to do best. We then come in and run their marketing, their operations. We like to say we like to be your your whole team, so you can step back and do what you love to do best. So that includes some of the things I talked about earlier. Certainly, a lot of branding services, a lot of the messaging, a lot of the refining the funnels that are ultimately going to get them to sell, and then a lot of the traffic generation into those funnels. What is at the top of your own funnel? What are you doing to to kind of bring in those prospective clients and and move them towards a sale? Right now, the two biggest drivers into that is um, well, I'll talk and I'll talk about one additional thing that would be beneficial for for, for the user listeners here is, is you know still my network, still hustling, still getting out there and talking to people as I'll keep beating the drum on. You know, I always got to be selling. Number two is we do are doing some just cold outreach, frankly, but the fact that we niche down is enabled us to to reach people that are a target through LinkedIn, you know, finding people on LinkedIn that would be a potential somebody who would need, you know, could use our services. We are working on creating a book which teaches a lot of the stuff we teach and we're excited to do that cuz I think that'll a get me on more more podcasts like this great one here as well as it'll build more credibility into what we're doing. Another technique I like to suggest though is is when you do get somebody interested, you know, try to offer a little taste of what you could do. 
you know, how can you show them some value and sit down with them and, and get them to talk a lot about their business and what their issues are and show them how you would solve those before you spend too much time like, uh, we really don't get in the, in the business of, hey, we need some services. Can you just whip up a proposal? That's just, we don't do that anymore. So what would that look like if somebody was coming to to branditize and was like, and wanted to kind of get that free audit conversation going? What would what would be involved there? There's a couple of different things we do. You know, if it's, if it's just a quick free audit, we sometimes will just look at something on their page. And depend- Actually, let me take a step back. Anybody coming to us inquiring, I always do an intro call to understand what level of that and if they are actually qualified first. Otherwise, you, you want to find out how much time you're going to spend on your side. Don't want people with no budget, no money that's just trying to kick the tires and get a bunch of free stuff. If that's what they're looking for, you know, it's nice to have an offering because you never know when they may want to come back, but you want to limit the amount of stuff you're giving. Maybe it's just a quick uh, feedback on something they're doing. For somebody that's a little bit more advanced and can be a good fit, and we've had the budget conversation, we actually don't necessarily do a free audit to that customer. Instead, we, we will actually have our first relationship be a strategic marketing session where we'll get into the hood and spend two to three hours with the key stakeholders of that business and really uncover a bunch of stuff. And what happens, and we, we charge a, a very you know small amount for that uh, to cover some of our time, but what's even more important than the... It's a double commitment. One, you're getting, you're getting them to take a credit card out, which is a huge thing, uh, even though it's not a lot of money that you can also guarantee, and you should guarantee that. But number two, it's their time. So asking for a somebody's two to three hours with all stakeholders and getting them to sit down and talk about their business and all their problems and desires and hopes and dreams with you and you fully understanding that you're now talking the same language as them and they will probably like you quite a bit. Now, you know, one of the things that strikes me is is that, you know, obviously customers are, are coming to Branditize for your t- you and your team's expertise. And that can be something that is is difficult to price and assign value to. So how should a new marketer figure out how much their services are worth? How do they go about making that decision? Great question. Often we all, and, and, and what's funny enough, you know, Alex is I, I had that situation where I actually, I fired myself out of pricing because, and that's something, that's a technique I've taught a lot of people. They really love that because as the salesperson guru who tends to always feel like, well, I don't know how valuable my stuff is and I feel bad. I tend to underprice my stuff and I had to get out of the way. And I also wanted to hook everybody up with a deal because I'm, I'm the guy out there networking and, and, and schmoozing and being buddies with everybody. So I wanted to hook everybody up. So first of all, it's great to fire yourself and have always have somebody else that's going to be doing the pricing in these examples because it allows you to be like good cop, bad cop there. Um, that's number one. Number two is we probably all tend to underprice ourselves initially until we build up the confidence. So every once in a while, just start higher and see what happens. And then you know, third, you know, you could do definitely some industry analysis and see what the industry, you know, what the market is charging for this kind of price. But ultimately, what really matters is the value you're providing, and this is what so many people miss. Price almost doesn't matter. If I'm going to do something that's going to help increase your your business by a million dollars, you know, what price would you pay? to do that. Would you pay $100,000 to get a million? You know, yes. So what difference is it, you know, does it make, you know, then why are you giving, you know, you know, that kind of question. So that's a, you know, I can go on for a long time just having that conversation with you, but I wanted just to plant some seeds to get people thinking a little bit about that. Yeah, for sure. And, and throughout, so throughout our conversation, you've mentioned the importance of your own network. I'm now curious what tips you might have for one, building out that network. And then once you've used the network to bring a customer in, how do you get that customer to then review you and offer testimonials to other customers to kind of keep that ball rolling? I, I think the second part of your question is a little bit easier because once you deliver and you make people happy and, and you show up and you respond and you follow through, that tends to happen. You know, how to build your own network for, for me is just, it, you know, a couple ways. 
One is take a step back. Where are your customers going to be at? Where are your prospects going to be at? Are there events you can go to where they're at? Are there special masterminds or maybe even a higher end? You know, sometimes you have to invest in, in, a, in a higher end mastermind just to be around a smaller group of people to get to know them. Also consistency. When you go to an event and expect to be able to walk away with all these relationships, sometimes it's tough. You have to go two or three times and, and get to know somebody who's going to make introductions to, to, to other people. And so it's, it, it's a bit of a grind sometimes. It does take time. Sometimes you might get lucky and you, you find somebody right away. And in my case, as I said, I built my own mastermind group. I just found a bunch of great people that I thought would be smart that I learned from. And I said, let's all learn from each other. And I just didn't want to wait around. And I took matters into my own hands. So whether you do something like that or you join groups or you, you, you pay, there's there's tons of different, you know, I'm a member of, let's say, EEO, Entrepreneur Organization. And there's different versions of that you can get to where you can sync up with other business owners. And just getting out there and getting to know people is critical. That's number one. The second thing, and it was a long answer, I mentioned it earlier, follow through. Follow through is so so key. And, and that alone is one of the biggest tactics. And you'd be surprised at how few people are good at follow through when you meet somebody. Meet somebody, follow up with them, ask if they need help with something. What can you do to offer help first? Always try to figure out what angle, what is it you could do that they're looking for? It might be an introduction to somebody else. How can you solve somebody's pain point and problem first? Then you have a relationship with somebody and follow through. And if you're stuck at follow through, Find somebody that you're close with that wants to kind of join your team and say, can you help me follow through these things? Or there's a lot of ways to you know, hire EAs or assistants that may not be that, you know, maybe they're overseas, something of that nature that are really good at helping you follow up. What are your biggest struggles as a business owner today? It's probably managing the unknown ebbs and flows of cash and where the pro- and, and PL. What I mean by that is it's you never know exactly when a new sale is going to come in, a new client's going to sign. You also never know when a client is going to actually leave and depart. So it's very hard to understand and, and manage the ups and downs. I mean, there could be a month where all of a sudden you're just drying the sales and, and my God, you just had a rough month with some clients and you just lost two or three or you lost one client that was a pretty substantial one with no sales to follow. So just managing the, the, the cash ups and downs is the difficult parts. How did you manage the business through the pandemic? What adjustments did you have to make and how did you handle those particular challenges? Uh, took the bull by the horns. I think first you, you got to look inner and outer. So I think internally it was, it was clearly uh, my big fear was the culture the culture shock of the culture. You know, the, the, what would this do to our culture? We were all an agency that everybody was not remote. We were all working together in an office in San Diego, and it was a very vibrant culture because of that. And so I had a big fear on how we were going to do that. But I got ahead of that and started asking questions and said, all right, well, how, what are we going to do to maintain culture team? And it wasn't a me thing. You know, we had a culture committee set up and we said, let's lean into this and be just knowing and asking the questions continually to allow the team to prosper as we all kind of stumbled through uh, not only culturally, but also just remote work and saying, well, well, wait a second, this may be here for a while. This also opens up the opportunity for us to hire people outside of San Diego. And now we were able there to get different kind of talent and open up this huge talent pool for us. So that was cool. And the client's perspective, it gave us an opportunity to shine and say, well, let's again, get ahead of this. Let's be thinking as the clients are thinking what we could be doing. One of our big clients, we, we helped them do a huge pivot, which saved the company because they were doing events that were live events every month you know, in a city. And you know, we're like, we got to get ahead of this and take these events virtual. And we did that and we crushed it. And so that's the kind of stuff that was, was really good. How do you stay current on trends and shifts in the marketing industry? I mean, what knowledge resources or tools are you turning to that you might recommend? Yeah, there's, there's podcasts, which are always, you know, like yours and others, which are always great because they're, they're continually be current and current trends and talking. So I think for everybody to find, you know, the podcast that they like in their industry, that's going to be helpful. 
I mean, selfishly, I'm going to go back to the things that I do, which is I do go to a lot of mastermind events, whether it's my own or other groups. You know, I go to one or two of them that I just say, I'm going to pick out the ones that work for me. And these are the events where I'm learning from other people that are, you know, I find places where I'm not even close to the smartest person in the room so I could grow. It can't just be me. Like, how do I inspire the team to also want to grow so we can feed each other with knowledge and, and, and creating a culture where that is a core value and that is it for us? Great. Yeah. I'm about to ask you to look into your crystal ball and, and be the smartest person in the room. Cause certainly between the two, even though we're digitally in a room together, you're certainly the smartest marketer in the room right now. What's the, what's the next big thing in digital marketing? What, what emerging technology or trends should businesses be keeping their eye on that will have a big impact in the next few years? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of buzz going on around, but just AI and how that's going to affect even the marketing world. There's also some other cool technologies company called Descript, which allows you to record your voice and do interesting voiceovers. There's a lot of cool AI that's doing a lot of content creation, you know, getting into the data and being able to come up with stuff and creative out of the data as well. All these are interesting trends that are developing. And I think getting smarter with data will never go away. The, the, The data crunching in our world is just so important. If you could pick the one thing that people take from this interview, what would it be? You know, if you're an agency owner, you want to build a company or any company, one is, is focus. I'll just say a couple quick things. And I know it's not one, sorry. It, it's focus niche down. You got to hustle and find your area of greatness that you like and try to get help in the areas that you're not great in. And somewhere in there, there's got to be the ability to go out there and sell and get business. What's your favorite business book and why? My favorite business book, I, I always like to go to uh, you know, a more recent one that I've really enjoyed. It's actually a book by a guy named Blair Enns. It's called The Win Without Pitching Manifesto. And it was part of what we did this year that really kind of changed a lot of the landscape of how we're, we're selling to clients. And for anybody looking to do an agency or anybody that's doing proposals and doesn't want to do proposals anymore, they want to find out how to gain more clients. It's a really good book where he talks a lot about kind of the things I talked about earlier about offering value and sitting down and having a conversation versus just putting a proposal out. Last question here, Eric, where can people find out more about you and Branditize? They could find me on my LinkedIn, you know, Eric Berman, it's Eric B. Berman on the LinkedIn and Branditize is branditize.com. That's brand E ties. It's kind of like brand and monetize put together. That is going to do it for this episode of the Upflip Podcast. Listeners, make sure you follow the links in the resources below for more real-world insights into how to start and grow a business over on our YouTube channel, in the podcast feed, or check out the listings on upflip.com to find businesses ready to buy where you can start earning revenue today. Eric Berman of Branditize, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was fun, and hopefully we were able to get some value out today. 